WCT after further review as this is one of Frank's favorite songs. Do not listen to him. <laughs> he is selling you snake oil. We don't sell snake oil, but we provide an entertaining and thought-provoking sports show on 88.3 WXUT. Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And sometimes we provide a life lesson. Ain't that right, Frank? Life lesson, my ass. Don't be a hater. And tune in to AFR Saturday mornings, 11 to 1 on WXUT. After further review, last segment of the show, save the best for last. We talk a little NBA, but first, uh, before we get into the Team USA thing, let's talk a little bit about LeBron, LeBron James, as usual. And uh, man, Twitter was on fire, especially when Jason Whitlock said about him. And we're gonna have our little discussion, and and, and I don't know, maybe we on doubt we'll probably debate about it, but just our thoughts on some of the things that have been going on with LeBron James and things people, I guess, are throwing stuff at the throne, as he likes to say, and uh, there's going to be some ether this season. But, uh, David, I've, I've been watching this lately. I mean, it's on ball is life everywhere, unless you're under a rock. Um, it, it actually, there's been a lot of things going on with, with LeBron James, the AAU thing, and then David Griffin saying that it was uh, miserable working under the uh, the LeBron reign in the in Cleveland, especially even though winning a championship, and that's why he said he had to kind of step down. But then again, he clarified some things, and I kind of understand what's going on. But uh, I think last weekend, I mean, LeBron pretty much getting in his son's layup line and doing some dunks, and then also, as you know, he's got two teams. Actually, LeBron Bryant Jr. plays for the, the North Coast Blue Chips team on his eighth grade team, and then he's on a ninth grade team that's strive for greatness, which I think LeBron kind of set up himself. And uh, that, that, that that's a high school team, and there was a couple clips of LeBron. It was a good alley-oop play, I believe. And then after the dunk, LeBron, you know, sprinted on the court while they were in play, lost his shoe, had to pick his shoe up, and then went back and sat down. Uh, Jason Whitlock has said some things, and it seems like everyone that says that they don't agree with it, they get some backlash. But uh, let's get your thoughts on it, David. Has LeBron, is he going a little too far? Uh, I would say yes and no. I think for me, going too far in terms of like actively kind of, I don't want to say impacting the game on the court and so kind of running onto the court like a fan would, kind of some of those things. Okay, like you can understand kind of being a parent and kind of kind of the dichotomy of LeBron before saying he didn't want to be that kind of parent and kind of having second thoughts about giving Bronny Jr. his name and kind of all the pressure that comes with that. But that's, I think part of that, and kind of you can tell from like the coaching perspective, like you don't want fans like running onto the court and celebrating with all these kind of crazy highlight dunks and everything, because that affects not just the impact of the game, kind of it becomes chaotic atmosphere and you really can't focus and think. And I think because it's LeBron James, kind of having that much more camera eyes on him all the time, knowing that even when he's at a private, semi-private event, you know, a son's basketball game, a lot of people are going to be more focused on him than his son, and his son's trying to become the next NBA baller. So I think from that dynamic, 
yeah, he's doing too much. But on the other hand, like, I can kind of understand, kind of part of it is because you're LeBron James, you have all these million cameras on you all the time. Your Instagram following is a lot higher than most other NBA parents because of just how big of a basketball player you are. And so for me, like, I, I like LeBron being in his kid's life. You know, part of it is you know, him not having that same kind of thing and him wanting to be a father for his kids and kind of be a success. And, like, the layup line is just fun. Like, is anyone really paying attention that much to what happens in layup line? It's supposed to be a showcase. Like, we see this with a lot of the high school players already. Like, when Zion Williamson was breaking Sports Center because of his pregame dunk, like, that's, a, that's 2019 right now. Like, so are we really talking about, like, pro basketball moves or making sure that you work on your jump shot in the layup line? No. Playoff lines are supposed to be for you just kind of doing whatever you want and try not to get hurt. And so why not LeBron just do a dunk just for the heck of it? But I, I, I see that, but do you see that from other parents? I mean, this is I think this is where the, the – the, I, I'd like the fact that he's in his kids' lives, but to really get in the layup line and do dunks, I mean, Matt Barnes got made fun of because he got ejected from his son's game, and he actually coaches. Uh, people go to AAU Bingo, which is a is a a, a Twitter uh, site where they make fun of people at AAU and what they see, and sometimes referees go up for dunks, and people are making fun of them, and it's almost like he's going to doing a little too much as we and we've heard that before on on a commercial here but i i do think he's doing a little bit too much i like the fact that the taco tuesday i like the fact that he is in his kids lives but you don't need to be in the layup line doing dunks i mean and i understand it, it's a, the, the cool thing to do you don't see kobe bryant at his daughter's aau games doing dunks it, it it just makes it seem like you're taking the the shine off your kid and making it about yourself I think my thing is, like, if, and just say, for instance, just kind of thinking about, there's an article, like, DeWan Wagner's son is now kind of one of those rising stars and kind of getting pub. Like, are we kind of putting a camera on DeWan Wagner kind of at these games? Like, I think the reason that people see LeBron James in the dunking, or the, in the lamp line dunking, is because there are so many cameras on LeBron James. Because it is LeBron James. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, one of these kids just decide, or one of these parents decide, hey, I'll just do a dunk just real quick. But no one talks about it because it's not that same magnitude of LeBron James. Because it doesn't, you know, fuel the ratings and the TV shows and the media to kind of have this such polarizing option as LeBron James does. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Dwayne Wade tried to dunk one, one time for the hood. But, like, I, is like anyone going to say anything that. about that because it is, you know, Dwayne Wade and not LeBron James? Are there going to be the same amount of cameras out? Like, ooh, oh, that's Dwayne Wade, Jonathan. Like, I, and I don't think they're. I, I, like I said, I, I, I don't mind. I like the joy that he gets out of it. But I don't think he needs to be jumping on the court. To me, I guess, I, I've seen some things that have, have troubled me about LeBron doing stuff. Like, for instance, I understand that, you know, I guess he sponsors the teams and stuff like that. But, like, 
you're on the sideline cheering one minute. And I've seen video where a kid has come out and he'll go over there and try to coach the kid up and, and, and stuff like that. It's like, dude, I kind of think that's a little disrespectful to the coach. Either if you're going to coach and help out, then be on the bench. If you're going to be a fan, then, you know, be over there and be a fan and cheer. But don't be doing trying to do it back and forth. I tell people this. I said, I think it, if you want to do bonding moments with the kids, you do it during practice. You know, if they if they do have practice, I'm sure they do. They have, yeah, you have at least one or two AAU practice before each event. You can go over there and dunk with them then. You know, there's no cameras there or anything like that. Or if there are, there might be the kids. And you can bond with them that way. And I think that's more of an intimate setting. But when it's game time and you're trying to focus on the game, you, you don't really need the circus act of you going out there in the layup. There, there's no need for you to be out there in the layup line. And I'm not saying that. And people might think, well, oh, you're just saying that because you're trying to be a hater. No one's really being a hater. But obviously, I understand that he's LeBron James. But if that was any other people, they, they'd pretty much be getting ridiculed for it. So, you know, it's something that it's one thing that you're there. There's buzz in the building that you're there to support your son. But I just kind of think he kind of comes in there and starts to hijack things. And it's it's like, OK, dude, you know, let, let your son have have his time. And he's actually a pretty good ball player. His son is Bronny. Yeah, and I think that if you have an interesting angle coming at it because you have coming from a coaching angle where you know kind of the pregame, you're trying to figure out the press, the game planning, you're trying to figure out those little last-minute coaching things. And so I think you have an interesting angle of, okay, if someone's coming in ruining the warm-up line, like how does that affect the players? Because now – it's like, oh, LeBron is here. How is this going to affect not just LeBron James Jr., but all the other players on the court? And because he's not a coach, like, that's another leg. It's not saying that a coach will go in the layup line and dunk, but, yeah. I guess I got to ask you, what do you think of Jason Whitlock? I mean, he really got roasted. <laughs> and on Twitter, this last thing about this, but Jason Whitlock, woo. Yeah, I think Jason Whitlock is drinking all kinds of haterade. He's being the ultimate hater. Like, like, like I understand kind of as a journalist, quote-unquote, kind of giving that hot take. But, like, I don't want to say, like, he crossed the line because that would indicate that he, like, he knew that there was a line there. But, yeah, like, first of all, yeah, there's there's a lot that I could say, but I mean, you're trying to. He's not he's not Lavar Ball. No. Like let let's just get that out of the way. Right. Like he's he's not a bad parent, and like first of all, like I don't think you can really comment on someone's parenting if you haven't had that experience of. Um, being a parent, and so well, I, is- I mean, see, this is another tough, sticky situation. I guess it's the whole. Well, if you're not a parent, you can't really comment on that. And I said, you know, well, you know, coaches are almost like parents. I don't have my own kids, but coaching is almost like parenting the kids as well when you're helping out the youth. So you you kind of can talk about that. I don't. It's not that he's talking about the dude's parenting. We all know. That's why I said this is the thing that gets like murky waters. Is that he made a comment? The thing that kind of disturbed me was that he's not going with the flow, and and he's saying stuff 
that uh, majority is not going to like. And that's, you know, but to sit there and say he's an uncle ruckus and he's against the cause and and all that just because he's making an opinion that a lot of people are thinking. Trust me, a lot of people are thinking about this about LeBron and don't want to say it. But I bet you behind closed doors or in text messages, they're probably over there agreeing with them. But because LeBron is such a popular figure and he's he, he's well liked. I mean, they're, they're, everyone's going to have their haters, especially when you're, you know, look at Frank. You know, he made a few opinions about a, a local high school team. and There was a couple of people that just didn't really agree with him. And that, that does happen. But I think him getting the backlash because of him basically just saying that then next thing you know people are saying he's attacking LeBron's parenting and he's just a sellout that that's going a little overboard against Jason Whitlock I think for me the biggest thing aside from the comparison with the bar ball it's kind of basically saying that he's a fame and social media junkie and kind of like he the only reason he moved to LA was for that that fame that media marketing that kind of off-the-court basketball thing. And like, we talked about it all season. Like, we know that that's the case. Right. But, but like, to say that he's, like, in, like, I don't want to say that the social media aspect is a part of it. Because, but, I mean, if you have a billion followers, like, is that really you being a social media junkie? Is that you kind of glamming for more cameras? Because if that's the case, then we can say a lot of, like actual celebrities are social media junkies and they move to LA for a better high. Like, where are you trying to go? Are you saying that now LeBron James is more concerned about being a celebrity than being a basketball player? And I would say that kind of, if that's the case, then why even go to LA at all? Why not just retire after you win your championship? I think for me, LeBron James wants to win basketball. Like, like, you don't kind of maneuver the L.A. market. You don't do all the things that you've done over this entire career just to move to L.A. and be like, oh, I don't care about basketball anymore. But let me bring in Anthony Davis. Let me try to actively recruit for all these other players to come and play for me. Like, if he was that much worried about the fame, then he wouldn't have done L.A. and signed with the Lakers. Like, if he were really worried about, like, the fame, he'll be like, hey, I won my championship. I'm going out on my high. See, I'll go make Space Jam 2 and not have any distractions. So he still me, wants to play back. But, like, I mean, he, 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 let's face it, you're right. He went out to L.A. to explore other opportunities because it's a little bit easier. But he still has the thirst and hunger to play basketball. Um, and then it goes right into the transition of David Griffin real quick about how he was miserable. And a lot of people were saying that, you know, it, it, it's hard to work with LeBron. It is. I, I think here's the thing that, that and I thought about this about him. And, and, and you do realize a lot of times, like David Griffin was saying, I think he personally likes LeBron. I think LeBron, I don't really know him, but just saying some stuff that he does. He, he, he is a likable guy. But I think sometimes in life people misunderstand or get blinded by someone being likable and overlooking some flaws. We're all human. We all have flaws. I personally think LeBron 
is a little narcissistic, a little bit. But but that's but then again, no, that's somewhat of the media's fault for building him up like that. You know, as soon as he was on Sports Illustrated, the chosen one, since he's been a teenager, he's always been in the limelight. He's always kind of been put on a pedestal. And he, he but in, in a sense, though, you kind of got to applaud him because after all these years, he hasn't really fall down too much. And, you, you know, people don't like that. People don't like to see others be successful for a long period of time. They want to throw shots at you and see you fall down a little bit. But at the same time, though, he's still human and he still has flaws. And I think one of the flaws is he still wants to have the attention. I mean, that, that that's just him. He likes to have attention. He feeds off of it. He's grown up in it. So that's all the thing that he knows. You know, you see Dwayne Wade, he kind of hides in the back. Most NBA players, once their career is done, they, they, they'll do like Shaq will do stuff on TNT. But that's his own his own platform. You didn't see him going to Sharif O'Neal's games and acting the fool and j- jumping on the court. And he's a really big personality as well. Um, so th- th- that's the kind of the, the difference is you, you compare LeBron to some of these other players and it's like, you know what? He just, I think Jason Whitlock just said, you're doing a little too much and people in the African-American community, I believe really took it too far and try to say that he was against black fathers and he's this uncle ruckus and he's this and he's that. When in the actuality, Jason Whitlock was just pointing out, one of LeBron's flaws, and that is one of LeBron's flaws. You've heard it before in the in the news media. They've they've talked about it. It's difficult to work with LeBron James. Not a lot of people are going to say it because let's face it, people are going to get blackballed. Look at Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas said it when he was in Cleveland. And what had, what has happened to his career? They blame it on the hip, but I'm pretty sure because of him being open about stuff, he got blackballed. I'm thinking. I think a lot of players. If they didn't risk being blackballed, would probably say something. I won't be surprised if five or ten years from now, because by that point, most of the players LeBron has played with will be out of the league. Someone's going to probably step up and start saying stuff that really happened behind closed doors with LeBron in the first stint in Cleveland, the second stint in Miami, the third stint or the second stint in, in Cleveland, and his stint in L.A., I mean, he doesn't get along with coaches. Think about Spolstra. He really was pushing hard for Spolstra to get fired. And Pat Riley, you know, pretty much had a backbone and said, no, you're not, we're not going to get rid of him. But at the other places he's been at, they've pretty much catered to him. And I mean, and think about it. If you're living that life where you've been used to being catered to all the time, this is what you're going to, this is the kind of the monster you're going to create. But I, I won't be surprised if some guys come out. And like I said, I think he's, he's, he's a great guy. I mean, you went to the MAC tournament with me. We would hear things about what the media would say basically about LeBron behind the scenes when he was with the Cavaliers the first time. And then when we went, I think, after he came back the second time. And, you know, great guy, charitable guy, does some things behind the scenes. But he's also not the greatest guy to work with either. Yeah, and I think kind of that's just part of LeBron James kind of knowing that and kind of leading up to that championship in Cleveland. It was, you know, got to win, got to win for Cleveland, got to win for Cleveland. And then when he leaves to go to Miami, you hear those stories about kind of Pat Riley having to be that, you know, end-all, be-all and kind of shutting LeBron down. But then when he gets back to Cleveland, okay, now I'm, quote-unquote, running the show again. Let me get my guys in. Let me get all these contracts for these big players that, for these veterans that are kind of, kind of, Built a team around right overpaying for J.R. Smith, overpaying for Tristan Thompson, Tristan. 
Uh, Kevin Love's career kind of got derailed a little bit. You know, he was a monster in Minnesota, but then kind of had to take a back seat um, and really much create, recreate his game. Chris Bosh, same thing, monster in Toronto, but had to kind of recreate his game. Uh, then in L.A., uh, the trading rumors. I mean, this was just a complete disaster in L.A. Now, he got injured. I think if he didn't get injured, L.A. probably would have snuck into the playoffs. Uh, but I think in, in retrospect, it might have been a good thing that they didn't make the playoffs because, I mean, if you're not going to win the championship at this point in LeBron's career, there's really no point in making the playoffs. Why get the, the, the put out the, the situation and even get yourself hurt even more? So you might as well just take the rest, which he looks like he's rejuvenated. But... At the same time, let, let's face it, he, he he is a little, a little narcissistic. I mean, kind of part of when you've kind of been in the spotlight, basically since you were in high school, part of that gets into kind of your mindset and thinking, just kind of not thinking for LeBron, but kind of looking from the outside, like, hey, I am the guy. I've been the guy. I've been on ESPN since, you know, 2000, 2001 like, allow me to kind of dictate and kind of try to run things. And so there are a lot of times where that can get frustrating when, especially in Cleveland, where, you know, you're the hometown guy, everyone wants you to succeed, you get this championship, and now you're like, hey, I got this championship. I brought first one for Cleveland in, you know, half a century. You know, I got, like, nobody can touch me. And so a lot of people don't want to work with kind of that kind of personality. They kind of, if you don't check it at the door, kind of like Pat Riley did, then it just kind of keeps festering and festering and growing. And now you're seeing it in L.A. a little bit where you're seeing some of those power dynamics where it's more kind of genie bus say, hey, you're going to have to check a little bit of this. And kind of how that's going to interact. Yeah, that, that that is true. But like I said, I can see how it, it is difficult to work with uh, LeBron. Now I'm gonna move on to Carmelo. We've always had this debate, me and you, David, back in uh, what was it twenty? Was it 2013? The year uh, we thought Carmelo, Carmelo should have won the MVP, and really it was Le- it was LeBron James. Really, I mean, Carmelo had a great season. Uh, but I, I still think LeBron had the edge, even though I think Lamar Murray said Carmelo Anthony too. Because actually, yeah, I think I remember the the, yep. the Heat went on to win the championship that year. So, I mean, I, I think they made a great choice. But now, Carmelo's not even in the league anymore. Uh, thoughts? Yeah, so you mentioned on first take kind of some of the mentality things about kind of his transition from being that 20, 25-point score, then going to Oklahoma City and kind of taking the six-man kind of role, leading the second-team offense and then kind of taking that step back when he got to Houston. And so for me, kind of I appreciated him kind of being honest about kind of taking this slowly transition, saying that he's more willing and open to taking kind of that bench role, similar to what he did in Houston. Kind of the one pushback that I have is that do you really, do you really believe this or are you just saying that so you can get back on the roster? Because I think kind of when you have that shooter's mentality, when you have that scorer's mentality that you've had throughout your entire career, and Chelsea Billups spoke to this a couple weeks ago, kind of it's hard to kind of flip that switch to be like, okay, I need to step back and not so, worry, not so much worry about my own stats, but think about team success and think about being a team contributor and kind of how can I make the team better. 
instead of, hey, I'm going to go get ball and I'm going to lead the second offense. And I think it was really eye-opening for me that kind of, at least in that moment, he kind of recognized what people were saying, recognized a lot of the kind of, hey, Carmel, you have to change your game. You have to change your mentality. And slowly starting to see that mentality seep in with Carmelo. And I think kind of one of the things that was interesting about in his conversation with Stephen A is that kind of this mentality goes to, like when he mentioned that he had the potential to go to Chicago and play with Derrick Rose and Nechokum Noah, but he decided to, hey, I didn't want to be part of the team and try to win rather than I want to be a New York, be the guy, and I was comfortable being kind of the quote-unquote alpha in New York. And so that kind of just showed a little bit of kind of retrospecting him saying, hey, back then it was just score, 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 shooter mentality. Whereas, and I'm not saying that if he would have gone to Chicago, it would have fared out any better, but maybe even kind of start to feel back to the low later of him being kind of that role player rather than kind of continuing to be that scorer and kind of being that alpha dog mentality that's carried him throughout his, his entire career. Okay, actually, we have that for you here, that, that, that talk with uh, actual uh, Carmelo Anthony. Let's listen to that with Stephen A. Smith. And instead, elected to go after the money. To that, you say who, though? Who, who was my option? Well, again, the you... Miami situation, that, that was just an idea, right? Mm-hmm. That, that wasn't even, that was just an idea stages, mm-hmm. right? And I was about to sign shortly after that conversation, mm-hmm. right? The New York Knicks situation I was going to Chicago. I, Derrick Rose, Joe Kim Noah, I was there, right? I, I, I was there. And then I started getting whispers behind the scenes. Yo, look, this person ain't going to be there. Ah, it ain't really right. Ah, this and that. And it was all of that started to come up in the midst of my decision making. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to let anything cloud that. I met with New York last. Like, I, they was the last team I met with because I knew that I was ready to move on from that situation mm-hmm. because of what I was dealing with and going through in New York. After that, I met with New York the last meeting and said, tell me what you're going to do for the organization, for us to put a team together to go compete and try to win. Mm-hmm. That was my conversation with them. There's a lot of things that was promised, a lot of things that was said. Mm-hmm. And I say, you know what, because I belong in New York, I'm going to roll with you. I'm going to roll with you. No, your little thoughts on that. I'm really just, as soon as I heard that, I was really curious. Like, how would Derek imagine Carmelo Anthony work with Derek Rose and Joachim Noah in Chicago? Because that would have been just all kinds of, like is that, that? I'm just curious your thoughts of how Carmelo Anthony would have meshed with that twenty or with that squad in Chicago. Uh, well, I, I think that he two ball dominant guards. I think it possibly could have worked. Um, I mean, if you think about it, little Chicago teams, they was Derrick Rose, and it was a lot of guys that were just really role players that played either defense or they were rebounders. You know, he had Lou Aldane that would get you buckets. 
Um, so it almost looks like Carmelo Anthony would have kind of taken the Luel Dang role. So it could have possibly worked out. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised by this, by Carmelo's uh, career, how it's gone. I'll play another clip about him and the Rockets, though, where guy was a dominant player. I, I, always, I tell people this all the time. Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James, when they first came into the league, skill-wise, Le- Carmelo Anthony was better than LeBron. I used to say that way back in the day. I said, you know, LeBron's a hell of an athlete, hell of an athlete, but he needs to work on his game. Carmelo Anthony had that mid-range jumper. He can hit from the outside. Footwork was almost flawless. Still has great footwork. Uh, doesn't play any defense, obviously. But for somebody that is not as athletic as LeBron, he was the true definition of a basketball player. Like, he could play basketball. Um, tough in the West to win, but it, it it seemed early on that, you know, Carmelo was, you know, worried about getting points. And he played with some really talented Denver teams, even with Chauncey Billups, even when the trade happened with, you know, when they got Allen Iverson. I mean, he, he played, he you know, he played really well. Um, but I, I, I think even with the Jeremy Lin situation, if you even look, he I think he had some some. Pl- pieces that were if he would have really just said you know what I'm gonna sacrifice just a little bit for the team I think he would have had a way better I guess playoff career I'll say that than he did does you know he was knocked out of the first round multiple times he did get to a western conference finals but there were some years you know where he just didn't make the playoffs either uh, and, and I think that's where the backlash is coming from now that you're lost, you've lost a step, and you're not that same guy, and you're not rele- you're not relegating to a, a role. Now you're not getting any phone calls, and this happens all the time with a lot of players. You know, they, when you're young and and you're productive, and you know you're an asset to a team, you can be the loud mouth and the malcontent all you want, kind of like Terrell Owens. You could be the malcontent all you want, but as soon as you lose that step. And you go back from being elite to maybe even just great or back to the pack, that phone stops ringing, and I, and I think that was a reality check for him. You know, I, I you know he said about how with the Rockets they tell him his services were no longer needed. Uh, that that really was the reality check, and I think this is what is happening to him. You know, he wants to get back in the league, but can you trust him? And I I, I would say that myself. Can you can you actually trust Carmelo Anthony? Some people are like, well, bring him back to Denver. I don't know if that'd be a great situation with Denver. He's probably going to go back and say, yeah, I'm ready to play. I will do anything. And then let's say he goes back to Denver and then uh, he wants to be the old Carmelo where, you know, they've already got Djokovic and, and Murray is pretty much the main pieces there. And then he wants to make it seem like it's old school Denver back in 06, 07. That's just, that's just not going to really fly or work. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those things where where do you go? Because he's like, you're not going to put him on a young and up-and-coming squad because you want to kind of mold those young pieces together wherever it may be. Do you put him on a contender? But, like, in the case of if it didn't work out with Houston, you don't want to put him in Denver because they've got something building. Do you put him on Utah, even though they kind of, they're young but not young-ish, but you don't want to ruin that chemistry? I mean, there are only so many places that you can go in terms of, I want to win a championship. True. 
Well, let's like, listen to this. Here's the thing about the Rockets. You say it's deeper than basketball. Be specific. What do you mean? Well, I mean, that? That, that, at, my, at my point at that time, that's what I was feeling. Like, yo, this is deeper than basketball. Obviously, you know, this was I, – I was on a 10-game trial period. Like, mm-hmm. this is not something that just happened. Mm-hmm. Right? This is something that's been talked about over these first 10 games of the season. Did Chris Paul feel the same way? Once I, once I talked to him, well, I, I talked to him. Like, I, I called him right away. I called him and I called James right away. And I said, look, just keep it 100 with me. Like, did you know anything about it? Because if you know anything about this, then me and now, now our friendship is on the line. So you got to just keep it honest with me. You're like, nah, I didn't. I ain't know anything about this. And James told me the same thing. Mm. Do you believe I know how tight you are with Chris Paul. I do not know your relationship with James Harden, but even though CP3 is still a baller, we all right. know who the star of the Houston Rockets is. Right, right. It's James Harden. And if James Harden, one would surmise that if James Harden wants you on the Houston Rockets, right. you would be on the Houston Rockets. People are at least, are at least going to assume right. that that's the kind of power he has. Is that how you feel? That if James Harden wanted you on the team, you would be there? I never, I never spoke to James about this. So I can't. You know, I, I would never jump the gun. I would me- never make that assumption. I had a, a one-on-one heart-to-heart with CP in my room, 1 o'clock in the morning. Looked him, looked him in his eye. He looked me in my eyes and told me, yo, bro, like, I would never, I would never do something like that to you. I take that, right? That, that, with me and him, it goes deeper than basketball. So for him to sit there and really feel the pain that I was going through at that moment, like being very vulnerable at that moment, I honestly could say that I don't, I don't think he, he knew anything about it. Your thoughts, David? Yeah, I'm just going to – I'll really kind of get more in-depth into kind of that Houston situation because I think for him, like, being in Houston was a reality check. And I think a lot of that growing and transformation that I think we heard throughout the entire piece, like, really started with, like that relationship that he built and had with Chris Paul and some of those kind of connections. And so, like, I'd be curious what some of the other pieces in that locker room have to say about Carmelo Anthony and his time in Houston, how Coach D'Antoni will talk about his time in Houston, how Maury will think about it. Because it just seemed like kind of going in, there were a couple of people that were like, okay, this could work. You know, high power in offense. Houston really wasn't thinking about defensively. But then as he was there, it was like, eh, maybe not so much. So. There's some more from it. Um, how he getting, he talked about how getting released from the Rockets happened. This, this is really interesting, by the way. I was, I was surprised by Big Town, right? It, it was, it went from, Oh, this is the piece that we that we want. This is the piece that we need. Mind you, we were talking. To, we've been talking for three years, four years. They were trying to get me to come to the Houston Rockets, uh, and I finally went there. They finally said, "Okay, this is the piece that we need." So I get there, and I'm, I'm thinking everything is good. Like I'm doing everything I got to do. I'm, I never missed a practice. Did all my work. I was, you know, real professional with everybody there. I, I don't think there's one person there that I could say that. I wasn't a professional there. I did what I had to do, did my work. And then the 10th game come, I just didn't understand where that come from. Right? I was reaching out to – I actually reached out to Daryl first mm-hmm. and said, can we talk about how can we make this better? What can we do to, you know, to fix this? What can I do to fix this? But then he had in mind that he wanted to come talk to me too about mm-hmm. 
releasing me and letting me go. So now, I, I didn't like how I didn't like how that went down. This is ten games in. Ten games in. A ten-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA player, ten games, and the Houston Rockets said goodbye to you. And from what my understanding was, and I want to make sure that I'm clear, you play a game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. You're now former team. Y'all lost that night on November 8th. Mm -hmm. You traveled to San Antonio to play the next game. And you were informed on the trip to San Antonio. What exactly did Daryl Morey say to you when he met with you? I was was actually in San Antonio, in my room, getting ready for the game. And me and Daryl were supposed to speak that night because I had reached out to him previously about just a heads up me, like what's going on, let me know what I can do. Like, I'm here to help the team. Like, let me know what I got to do. It's like, look, basically your service is no, no longer needed. And I'm like, hold on, what the, what, what the hell are you talking about? He's like, nah, you, you know, we, it, things just not working out. And you got to figure out, you got to figure out something to do. I'm like, how the hell am I going to figure something out to do? I got a game tomorrow. Nah, you're not going to suit up tomorrow. Wow. Yeah, that's just. Like, I, I don't even know where you would start with that in terms of the professionalism, kind of the location, like right before the game. Like, just all of that is just like. That, that says a lot about. Yeah. Yeah, and then here's Carmelo about speaking on his name. Why should somebody believe Carmelo Anthony when he says that? Because I'm because I'm speaking my truth, right? And and I never do this. I never speak out about this. I'm not begging, but I just I feel like it's too many narratives about Carmelo Anthony, but not coming from the horse's mouth. And that's when I start to get, I'm like, yo, like it's, it's too many people speaking. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's too many people speaking on on, on my name, and I, I don't like that. Why should somebody believe Carmelo Anthony? Is are there too many people speaking on his name? I think yes, and I think part of it's kind of the media has kind of fueled the storyline about kind of Carmelo Anthony on and off the court, and that's kind of really developed into how a lot of people see Carmelo Anthony just kind of in public light. And so for a lot of people, because of what they heard other reporters or people in the media talk about Carmelo Anthony, it becomes, okay, this is how we view Carmelo Anthony. And so I think Part of Carmelo's kind of task that he talks about is kind of reclaiming his own image so that he can tell the truth about himself. He can tell people, okay, here's who I really am, rather than what you've heard and seen about me. And maybe that affects kind of how other teams hear about him because, you know, news travels fast in the league. And so, you know, a lot of people are using those back channels and kind of trying to get the what's actually happened behind closed doors piece. Uh, I also think too, Carmel has to understand that the the game has changed. Uh I mean when he when he came in the league, his game was perfect for the NBA. Mid post game, big guy, backing down, bully ball, uh but now it's a more of a fast-paced game, guard play, pick and roll. You know, they're not going to let you just get the ball in the mid post and you pound the ball for two or three seconds and then kick it out. I mean, it's it just, it just not going to happen anymore. It, the game is now more about moving the ball, reversals, or 
a team just has a guy that's ball dominant like James Harden and he's going to look for you and he's going to drive and now you got to be a spot up shooter which I, I thought that Carmelo could transition his game cuz in the Olympics he he did change his game to the point where he was basically shooting threes now obviously the FIBA line was almost mid range in the NBA but he was spotting up for threes spot being basically a spot up shooter letting you know whoever it was LeBron Kobe D-Wade try to create a play for him and he would hit them shots and he was brilliant in the Olympics and I thought when his career got further down the line where he was you know losing a little bit he could rely on that and stretch his career out and be effective um, and, I, and I think that's just the thing about it I, I think also people speaking on his name and stuff you know let's face it people have come out and said you know uh, what was his name um, Chauncey Bullets was, it made a good point that you know, you get the win, and if he only had 15 points, he was upset. But if he got 35 and a loss, he was happy. You know, that, that rubs people the wrong way. And, and eventually, I think that's what happened. It caught up with him. He never changed his mindset. He never changed his game. He never really evolved to what the current NBA is now. And I can understand some people are like, well, I don't change for nobody and stuff like that. But Sometimes, as they say in HR, either you change or you die. And as you see with businesses, if you don't change to what the market is desiring or what the market dictates, well, guess what? A lot of times you go out of business. And I think that's the thing that happened with Carmelo Anthony. He didn't change. And like the, the, the Rockets told him, your services are no longer needed. And, and that's what happened. He didn't change and he went out of business. I, I think yeah. now, do, do I think now him working on the game he can say all he wants and you can get the the, the, the trainer to say what you want, but once again you're gonna have to show and it's gonna be a lot harder. Have you really changed? Yeah, and I think kind of moving forward, would I be surprised if he kind of someone takes a flyer on him? No, but do I think that he'll get back to either that I'm gonna be like a sixth or seventh man on the bench? Probably not, just because the way that the game has changed. And you have to be productive on both sides of the floor. And throughout his entire career, Carmelo Anthony playing defense hasn't been really set in the same defense unless the word poor has been in there. Right. And that's another thing. Don't, don't play defense. Now, obviously, as you get older, you can't play as much good defense. So I, I thought to myself, well, he, you know, he could be a utility guy, but you know when he was at Oklahoma City and he had that you know that that one bit where he said, "Hey, uh, PG, they said they want me to come off the bench," and he laughs. You know, it's like, dude, you eventually you're gonna have to be a sixth man, and, and that's where he's at, and, and that just that's just the player that he is. Yeah, and I think I think Oklahoma City and Houston should be kind of building blocks for him, whereas. He needs to recognize that a lot of teams are going to want him to be that, okay, you can come off the bench, be that, leave that second unit, but at the same time, we need you to be productive on the other side of the floor, or at least like attempt to be productive defensively. And I think if he were to at least like give like maybe 5 or 10% more effort, there's no reason why he wouldn't be on an NBA roster. Because there are a lot of guys on those benches that if you were to, say, kind of compare Carmelo Anthony with, you know, Joe Schmo, who's 12th or 13th man, it's about what can you bring to the team and can you fit with the guys that are already in our locker room. And can Carmelo Anthony kind of humble himself to that point to where 
hey, I know that I'm not the star that I once was. I'm not that alpha scorer, but I need to be, you know, I don't want to say a role player, but, yeah, you got to know your role. You got to develop this kind of position on the bench and be a team player. Yeah, that, that that's totally true. Uh, but, you know, hey, I wish the best for Carmelo Anthony, but he's going to have to prove that he changed. Final thing, Team USA, people dropping like flies. <laughs> Your thoughts? Yeah, and Julius Randle kind of is the latest player to withdraw. And so looking at this roster, it's basically like an Eastern Conference All-Stars kind of team. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's players, like the high-profile players, moving to new teams and wanting to get adjusted with their teams. I don't know if it's kind of the risk of injury concerns. Yeah, it's, I don't know why. I, I'm almost starting to think that maybe they just need to do, a, okay, we'll do like half NBA players and then bring in a couple of those high-profile college players. Like I know they have the USA Basketball Select, but like are there a lot of players that you can look on this team and say, hey, he's going to be that alpha that leads Team USA to a gold medal. I mean, yeah, you have some shooters. You have Kimba Walker. You have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, that combo from from Boston. You have a couple of big guys from Brooke Lopez who can kind of bring Miles Turner who can clog the paint. But, I mean, like, we're throwing Harrison Barnes out there. We're throwing T.J. Tucker out there. Come on, man. <laughs> Are you hating on them? I mean, if this is like I understand, you know, Team USA goes through these cycles, and so a lot of people brought up the team in 2004 as kind of like, okay, this is going to be that nobody wants to play. Let's throw out a couple, you know, okay guys, and then come back in 2006, 2008, and then go through that next cycle. But like, this is—I don't want to say it's bad, but. Like, is this team, can you guarantee that this will actually get to the medal round? Like, I don't even think that this team, as constantly constructed, could probably make gold, or the bronze. Like, don't get me wrong, there's some young pieces, there's some upcoming stars. You got your Kuzmas, you have Donovan Mitchell, you have Jason Tatum, you have Bam Adebayo, who's a late addition. And then you have, you know, a couple of the select team rosters, so some of those top picks from the past couple of drafts. And maybe, you know, if we can get someone like a Trey Young who can be that scorer, we can bring in a Fox or a Marvin Bagley. But, like, this is not going to be good basketball if you're, like, thinking USA basketball is going to maintain their dominance. (laughs) I yeah I, I I do agree. If you're not gonna and face it, the, the world has gotten better at basketball. I mean, heck, pretty much the NBA is just so global now. Uh, I I personally think that this this is troubling that you know these guys and I, and I went I saw a tweet here on Bill Simmons Landry Shamit. Uh, hey Landry, do you want to spend a week working out with some of the best NBA players and best coaches? And then he put in quotes, I guess, kind of mock him. No, six months ago I was a throw-in in the Harris trade, and I've played a total of six playoff games. Not sure if this Team USA experience can help me. Thanks, though. 
So then Landry replied and said, you didn't even know how to pronounce my name or who I was six months ago, so it's nice to see you know the name now. Chill out. I want nothing more than, than to be there this week. Health comes first, and that's that. Can't push through an injury in August. And, I mean, there are other players that are injured. I mean, Kyle Lowry's on the roster, and he's got a thumb injury that he's recovering from, and he played in the NBA Finals. So, I mean, like I understand some players kind of taking the offseason to rest, and so look at a guy like Damian Lillard who has kind of goes full throttle 100 miles an hour. If you look at a guy like Zion Williamson who withdrew, but we kind of looked at that and, like, we knew Zion wasn't going to play. But, yeah, some of these guys, it's like, like, and even trying to think of, like, your starting five. Like, how do you expect Kimball Walker to play with either Donovan Mitchell or kind of some of his new teammates in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? Do you really think Chris Middleton at the three is going to be as dominant as he is as he shows in Milwaukee without the kind of caliber of a Giannis? Do you really trust Miles Turner to be that dominant frontcourt president? I mean, there's just a lot of questions, and it's just curious how maybe we'll get some of the younger select players, some of the college players. But I think at some point you just have to be like, all right, this really has to be those younger guys. Like, so three years in the league and younger, you can be our USA basketball. Because it seems like the more and more of those older players or those veteran players that withdraw, it just gets more and more embarrassing. Just look, look, at, look at all these guys that have said no. Anthony Davis, James Harden, Eric Gordon, Kevin Love, Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Andre Drummond, Tobias Harris, Paul Millsap. Uh, wow, that that's a lot. And those are those are guys that aren't bad players, but I wouldn't say are superstar superstars. Yeah, I mean, you can understand with Anthony Davis, like you can understand with Damian Lillard, you can kind of understand with a Tobias Harris or a James Harden. But like when guys like Eric Gordon and J.J. Reddick for saying no, and Montres Harrell. Like, we got, like, Andre Jumman and Julius Randle, and be like, you know what, we're good. Like, that says something about just the entire system. Like, some of them are, like, valid reasons. Like, um, like Bradley Bill says, hey, my, my child is about to be born. Like, you can understand that. But... Like, do they even get a bronze medal? Well, I mean, you have Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, and, and Kyle Kuzma, along with Kimball Walker and Chris Middleton. Um, De'Aaron Fox and Trey Young can can do that. I think what's going to happen is more and more, this is just a transition to younger stars. I mean, it is what it is. I think you need to give it to the younger, hungrier guys if you want to do this. You know, don't be always putting in the re- – I understand you want to have the star power, but you can't be always putting in the retreads. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and at this point, there's some guys that if they've, they've done their duty, you know, if they do one or two World Cups or do one or two World Cups and the Olympics in between, I think you've done enough to, to service the country. Let the young guys start doing it. I mean, they've even said, well, why don't we do the college guys? I, I think not going to the college guys is a good idea. Don't go to them. But I think if you're if you're if you're in your first five years of the NBA, 
let them young, younger, hungry guys get in there. They're young, they're talented, they got a little bit of NBA experience under their belt. I think they can really compete with those guys instead of just doing the, the college guys. We know aren't going to be able to compete against those the, the uh, other countries because those are those are pro players. It's a, it's a big difference when you're jumping from pro to co- or from college to pro. It don't matter if it's overseas or in the NBA. It's just that maturation process. So I think that's what the Team USA should do. If you think it's a B team. Okay, it's a B team, but I think it's a preview of basically what the NBA is going to be looking like in the next few years. That's what I think. Yeah, and I think if really they just took over the select team, like that would be a sufficient roster. I mean, they would probably go deeper in the tournament than kind of the, the pro players that have committed that the, the veterans as of right now. So if you throw in a Tatum or a Donovan Mitchell or, you know, even a Bam Adebayo, throwing him in with a Marvin Bagley or a De'Aaron Fox, Jonathan Isaac, Trey Young, Jaron Jackson. Like, if nothing else, we'll know that going in, oh, we're just throwing in, you know, the young guys, like you said, the youngs are hungry. But at the same time, we know that some of the veteran guys, they're just, they're not trying to play basketball in August and September, knowing that, you know, there's that much more training that they have to do. And, yeah. They just want to enjoy their vacation. Like, Brooke Lopez has been around too long to be doing this. I mean, again, not to single out Harrison Barnes, but if he's out there representing USA basketball, like, like come on. Hey, it, it, that, that, that can happen. So what do you got planned for the weekend, uh, David? All right, since football is back, a little bit more preseason football, a little mm-hmm. bit of baseball just to water the appetite. Next week we're going to tackle the NFC West and the AFC South. And who knows, maybe maybe LeBron James will say something else that's interesting. Well, like I said, they're coming for him at the throne, and there's about to be some ether. So stay Tune for that. Oh, the ether. <laughs> also, gotta love that basketball is not so much right around the corner, but just slowly trying to get with the NBA about being uh, NFL round the clock, three sixty-five. Yeah. Well, like you said, I'll, I'll be out of town next week for a PGC tournament all week long. But once you get past August, you know it's, it's September. October usually starts training camps or late September training camps and college teams get to do their uh, uh, workouts as well. So you think about it, basketball is kind of just right around the corner. It's, August, I think, is one of the fastest going months in the summer. That's just me. Yep, and we're almost three weeks away from the start of college football too. So, Right. All right, David, have a good weekend, man. All right, see you next week. Yep, that was David the Man of God Harris here. Once again, we were live on the Facebook page. Also, listen to us on SoundCloud and on iTunes. WSUT's After Further Review. For David and Frank Vasher, who wasn't here, who will probably be back next week, I'm Derek Lawson. This is WSUT's 88.3 WSUT's After Further Review. But you know what? We're going to be getting on out of here. Make sure you always check us out 11 to 1 live on the airwaves and also on our podcast. Peace! We'll see you guys next week. Same time, same place. 88.3 WCT. After further review.